Well, good morning, church. Always good to gather, to be a part of a worship service. When I stand in the back and I purposely stand back there during the first few songs, just to watch you worship, um, to know that God is moving through you. And then uh, obviously then I get to move up here in the last song and I get to hear you worship. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I want to say big thanks to all of our volunteers in this church. We have so many that serve in various ways, whether it's security, whether it's greeting, the nursery, the children's Wednesday night kids program. We have so many volunteers in this church, our food pantry. I just want to say thank you for serving. Thank you for being a part of this church, uh, especially during busy seasons like at Easter when it's, it'd be so easy just to, you know, I'm just going to go to church and celebrate and not serve in the nursery. And uh, so as during holidays and busy seasons, thank you especially for serving. It's, it's huge. It really is. Well, I want to speak just like 30 seconds here into the older generation that's here. Older generation means anybody around my age and up. Um, because you might remember something. Um, and I, I, this comic just floors me. It's a comic strip of a, of a skinny guy with his girl out on the beach. And this other big guy comes running in and gets a football and kicks sort of sand in the guy's face. And, and he's like upset about being sand kicked in his face. I'll throw that comic up there. I fully remember this, this comic strip. And uh, basically the skinny guy's like, hey, I don't like getting sand kicked in my face, so I'm going to go work out. And he takes on this workout program, gets all strong, and then goes back to the beach and, you know, is the tough guy. And, you know, I was sitting there and I've, I've always... I looked at that as a kid, I'm thinking, that's me, that's what I want to do. I want to be this tough guy. I'm tired of getting sand kicked in my face. Because, you know, growing up in northern Indiana, there are so many beaches that we go to, right? Or maybe just corn and bean fields. But I was in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I want to be the tough guy. I want to grow up being the tough guy. And so they go to school, and there's a football team. Well, man, everybody in our district plays football. We're state champ type people. So it's like, I'm going to play football. So I, I play football. Oh, man, you got to be tough because the coach is tough. The coach yells at you. The coach blows his whistle at you. The coach hits you upside the helmet with his hand. The coach breaks his clipboards. I mean, you got to be tough to play football. So, yeah, I'm playing tough, right? So, guys, we've got to be tough. The comic strip tells me you got to be tough. Football told me you got to be tough. And then I go to church, growing up in a church, and the pastor says, open up your Bibles to Matthew 5, and open up the Bible to Matthew 5, and there's this verse, chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Meek, all I hear is weak. That's all I heard. It's like meek and weak, it doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, for me, it's like this is the, this is the pink aisle section of the Bible, what I mean by that is I got three sons growing up. When you go to Walmart, you don't, you don't take your boys down the pink aisle. That's the Barbies. That's all the girly toys. We actually used to threaten our boys when they were younger. Hey, knock it off or we're going to walk down the pink aisle. No, Dad. You know, it's like, don't want to walk down that aisle, see all the Barbies. But when I'm reading this verse, I'm like looking at him going, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are you wimpy Christians who would just curl up in a ball and cry. That, that's what I was reading. And I was thinking, but that doesn't make sense, that, that whole verse. And then it's like, well, didn't we just celebrate Easter? 
Didn't we just celebrate how Jesus knocked Satan on his can and resurrected from the dead and beat death, beat sin? I mean, Jesus. You talk about tough, right? And so then I, I think about how God gives us his spirit. And his spirit resides in us. That same resurrecting power spirit in us. So then I sit there and think, how can I, as a man, sit here and think, I, how do I be strong, be tough, but yet not be weak. I'm, I was having a hard time, and, and you know I don't want to come across mean. How do I say anything strong without coming across in a passive manner? How do I balance this all out? I was I was really, you know, struggling with that when I was was younger, and and now that I've gotten older, it's like I've, I I made sense of it, but now I feel like there's a second wave coming. In a world where you feel like you better stand up for yourself, you better let everybody know how you feel. We can't have weak Christians around here anymore. Make your voice be known. You know, and it's like, I feel like, wait, I, we live in a world where people get pretty volatile real quick. And they spout off really quick. And it's like, so I thought maybe I should revisit this and try to understand it. So, you know, you go back to the original words in Greek and try to figure out what do they mean by all this. And Aristotle had a couple of different Greek words he used. One was uh, orgilitus, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but it meant excessive anger. And the second word was argisia, which means excessive angerlessness, if that is such a word, okay? So it's like you're going to the extreme on one end and the extreme on the other end. And what he said was to be meek, was to find the medium between those two Greek words. What we find that was used in Matthew, the Greek word was praus, which meant it, it's a happy medium between the two. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, you could, using the Greek word that's in there, say, oh, the joy for the man who's, who's angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. But in studying this and learning this a little bit more, I found out it has a second Greek meaning, and it was used regularly to when you wanted to domesticate a wild animal. So, so basically, think about this. You're taking a wild animal and you're bringing it under control. You're de domesticating it. The word comes from that of taming a wild horse. So for those of us, uh, you know, maybe you're like, man, I like going to the rodeo. Why? Barrel races? Come on, we know why you're going there. You want to see somebody get bucked off a wild horse, right? You're the person that goes to a hockey game waiting for the fight, waiting for somebody to get checked in the wall. You're the person that goes to a NASCAR race waiting for the car to spin out, right? No, not me. I'm the mild-mannered Christian. All right, whatever. So anyway, but we're talking about that wild horse that's going to buck somebody off, and then we bring it under control. We tame that horse. So this quality, this characteristic of a follower of Jesus Christ is necessary in leading, in parenting, in relating basically to mankind. Learning how to deal with life that gets a little crazy and you're, you're about ready to lose control. It's like, I need to bring this under control, right? So this, this meekness is to be under control, but it's to be under the control with the help of God. So if you were maybe to again, let's go back to Matthew 5, 5, and let's, let's rework this. How about, oh, the bliss... Of the joy for the man who has every instinct, every impulse, and every passion under control. Blessed is the man who is entirely self-controlled. Now, 
this isn't so much about having control over yourself because here's the, here's the deal. As mankind, we, we lose control because remember, we're still man. And so we, we struggle with that. We need God's help when it comes to this control thing. But then I discovered there's a third meaning to this word, meekness. So it sounds like an infomercial, right? And yet one more thing here, you know, it's sort of like, okay, what's the next thing? Here it is. It means humility, Humility. So humility is the first step to learning. If we are humble enough to admit that we're ignorant on some things, that we don't know it all, we have a better chance of learning. If we think we know it all, we're full of pride and we'll never learn. So this word for meekness, pros, means, again, so many different things. We take our English word and it's like, hey, this is what it sounds like to me. We define it. But then you go back to original meanings in Greek, and it's like, man, it's got a lot more to it. So, again, taking all of those definitions, let's rewrite it. Here we go. Oh, the bliss of the man who is always angry at the right time, never angry at the wrong time, who has every instinct, impulse, and passion under control because he himself is God control, who has the humility to realize his own ignorance and his own weakness, for such a man is a king among men. That's how maybe we translate it. You're like, okay, so what does this have to do with us, right? What's Jesus trying to say? When I look at this word meekness, I'm looking at a, a, a strong-willed person at times who's basically learning to submit to a higher authority. It isn't weakness. It's being under control. I possess a strong will, maybe a powerful character, but I'm able to submit to those who are over me. And this, for all of us, I think it would be God, right, who's over us. And then I look at situations in my life and I say, where, where God, am I struggling with this? I mean, where do I lose control? Because I think i got it all under control. So I don't need this meekness stuff because I've got it. All right, well, assess your life. Evaluate it, would you please? How, how do you do when your spouse does something to, I don't know, irritate you? Or they do something that really hurts you? How's your control? How's your meekness? Your kids don't do what you want them to do for the fifth time in the same day, within the same hour? How's that go? Or your coworker goes behind your back, makes you look bad, a driver cuts you off in traffic, your favorite team can't seem to win the big games or any game. The comment on somebody's social media post upsets you. Someone gets in front of you with 20 items in the 15-item aisle. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, now we're starting at home, right? See, there's a lot of things that go on in our life, and you probably have some of your own examples, but there's certain things that just sort of mm, irritate you, rub you a little bit, and all of a sudden, I'm supposed to show meekness but I'm struggling with that. They can be upsetting these situations, and some of them, but here's the thing, some of them are so much worse. Some things that can really get at us is maybe somebody physically or intentionally hurts us. A tragedy, an accident takes place, a life circumstance dealing with a, a medical issue and you just, you sit there and you say, well, it took me by surprise and I'm not sure how to respond to this, God. 
why me? Why is this? Why is this? It's a difficult circumstance. And and then if you're meek, rather than flying into a temper tantrum, you sort of remain silent. You sort of keep things under control. Meekness doesn't strike back, even though you have every ability and every right to strike back. You you don't. And if you find yourself in a situation you believe this is wrong, you're still able to stay silent until the appropriate moment to speak, until the appropriate moment when somebody's asking your opinion, you can share it with them. You know how to control your emotions. Being meek is not being weak, because those things are hard. It takes strength, which we talk about the strength of God's spirit. Here's the thing, I, I, I've been, I would like to say I've been successful in this area at times, at times. And there are times when I can look back in a situation and say, I did not handle that well. I erupted like a volcano. I, I was not under control. I was out of control in how I responded. So I've been, I know I've been successful and I know of times I've failed and I look at those times, and the times that I've been successful, I can pat myself on the back and say, I did it. And there's other times when I've failed, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, man, I'm ashamed. I'm a Christian. I thought I was supposed to handle this better, right? And Jesus says, oh, the bliss, oh, the joy, blessed are you, who's always angry at the right time, but never angry at the wrong time, who has every instinct, impulse, and passion under control. Because he is God control. He has the power, or I'm sorry, he has the humility to realize his own ignorance and his own weakness. For such a man is a king among men. That's what I would like to say. I'd like to say God's looking at me and he's saying, Rex, blessed are you. Because you see, there's, there's benefits to being meek. There's benefits to being humble and under control. And I look at some of the benefits throw them up here on the screen. When we allow meekness to rule in our hearts, here's one of the benefits. We become a soothing agent to others in a situation. Basically this, meekness was also used in a medical sense, like, like a soothing medication to calm the angry mind. And when I am allowed, the Holy Spirit is allowed to work in me and allow me to be meek, and my can show, I can show my meekness towards you, it calms the situation. It helps others who are around. A meek person's response becomes that soothing agent for the upset soul. And I don't know if you've ever been in a moment like that, but I've been there years ago. Snowstorm. I was a teenager. Wanted to drive over to my brother's house. I have no idea why I was going there. I just knew dad's like, yeah, you can take the car. I get to take dad's car. So I get in the Grand Prix, going down the road, boom, snow drift, snow drift. Then I hit a snowdrift that I got stuck in. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Fortunately, some guy comes along with a big 4 by 4 truck. Sweet. I'm going to get out of this snowdrift. He gets the chain out. He hooks it up. And we hook it up to the front bumper. Yeah. Teenage mistake right there. And as he pulls, we're going out of the snowdrift. This is excellent. Until I hit another snowdrift and he keeps going. And my front bumper becomes a jousting machine. Pointing straight out, I'm thinking, this is not good. And I go home after I go to my brother's and like, like I'm so in trouble. He's like, you're so in trouble. I know I'm in trouble. Oh, you, you're dead. Oh, I know. And then you just sort of 
prepare to go home to see dad. And I don't know why I was so worried because I knew the nature of my father. And I know my dad, he would, he would be upset, but he is more controlled by love than he was by anger. And so when I pulled in, oh, he, he was upset, but he was meek in how he handled it. I knew I blew it. I deserved whatever punishment he wanted to give, which was probably, a, you know, I don't know, forever in my room and an emptying of my bank account to pay for the bumper and everything else. But his response, how he treated me in that moment, brought hope, brought peace. See, his, his meekness was a soothing response. It, it was a smoothing agent to me. His response helped me feel better, even though I knew I deserved something more. Here's another thing about meekness. It's evidence of Christ in our life. It's, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We've, we've been in this passage multiple times. We spent actually a lot of time here months ago going through Galatians. And in Galatians chapter 5, we had talked about the fruit of the Spirit, but we often started out with this scripture starting in verse 16, where it says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, which is important because we like to take control of our own life, right? Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just what? The opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. I don't know if, if you see that. I don't know if you see what's taking place here in the scripture. We talk about this often. We said there's a battle that takes place within us. The sinful nature and the spirit of the Lord is like sometimes it's just going at each other, right? Look at verse 19. It says, when you follow, and I love this because it's, it's, it's our choice. Nobody's forcing us. It's when we make the bad choice. When we follow the desires of the sinful nature, look what the, it says. It says the results are really clear. You often wonder, why is this happening in my life? It's like, well, what choice did you make? Who are you following? Well, following the flesh, following sin, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Stop there. Outburst of anger. It's a work of the flesh. It's something we want to avoid. We don't want it in our lives. Nobody says, oh man, I'm so angry and I'm just blowing up. It's like, love that, man. I love that about you. No, we don't. Nobody loves that. The outburst of anger, that wrath, is a picture person who's really, they're, they're boiling inside. And then all of a sudden it just, just goes, right? And we try to we restrain the anger by, what, just pushing it down deep inside. But then it flares up. And when it blows up, it's like a volcano. It just explodes everywhere, leaving lava everywhere. Things get burned. Things get destroyed. I'll never forget um, coaching, going to a, a college football practice, um, working with a team. And, and I every week had that opportunity to take five, ten minutes with the team at the end of practice. And when I showed up that day and was hanging out, I could just, you could just see things were just falling apart. And you could see the anger on the coaches faces and their words, and, and we get together at the end of practice, everybody's taking a knee, the head coach just lights them up. I mean, he was yelling and screaming, and 
he created new curse words I thought I'd never heard before. I mean, it was just, everything was just blowing out at him. And then he gets done, he looks at me, he's like, Rex, go ahead, I'm going. <laughs> All right. Um, <clears throat> it was like walking up, to, like, the volcano exploded, and I'm walking up with a first aid kit with a little tube of, you know, burn ointment. <laughs> Here, sorry, man. <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you say? You know, in those moments, and it's, it's like, you, you, you see, that's what the flesh does. The flesh just shoves it down, shoves your emotions down, just puts it in there. And here's what eventually happens. It just blows. And everybody around you feels it. That's the work of the flesh. When we don't confront the issue, when we don't take it to God, the Holy Spirit says, I, I took that issue to the cross, right? That's what Christ did on the cross so that you wouldn't have to deal with all these issues. And the Holy Spirit says, let me help you through these things that you're dealing with. We need to deal with it, confront it immediately before it grows really ugly and before it gets really painful. And, you know, I've often heard people say, isn't that sort of like what we do with Matthew 18? I've heard a lot of that lately uh, with a lot of people just recently, just, and I think I might have mentioned a few weeks ago, the Matthew 18 principles like, you know, when you've got a problem with somebody, go right to that person. That's Matthew 18. It's like, if you look at that scripture talking about dealing with sin between Christian brothers and sisters, you go to that person. So if I got an issue with Joel, he does something. It's like, hey, Joel, can I come over and chat with you about something? So I go to him and we have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. If that doesn't get resolved, I get another Christian brother and now the three of us have a discussion. Well, I mean, that's, that's scriptural how we handle problems. We, we, we don't do that very well today. When we have a problem, we go talk to about 10 other people about that person we have a problem with. Make sure we got enough people on our side so we can go back to that person eventually and say, see, I was right, instead of dealing with it scripturally. Because again, it's like the emotion of everything that's going on, when we don't handle our emotions well and the Holy Spirit's not in control, we find other ways to deal with it that maybe aren't so scriptural. I know there's a lot more to that scripture and talks about, but that's, that's one example of that. And I don't know, some of you, and, and I can feel the same way, I'm sure I have. You know, hey, Rex, how you doing? Good. Deep down, not so good, right? So I'm like you, and I might press it down and I say, I've got it under control. But here's what I've discovered. In my arrogance or pride of wanting to be good, I'm good with all of you, I press down maybe something I'm struggling with. And I don't know if you know this, but when you press it down, it shoots out some other way and harms people and other situations in a different way. Let me give you an example of that. Everybody remembers, most of you remember, Mount St. Helens when it erupted in 1980. And uh, boy, it made a mess. Um, since, since that eruption, there's, we've made uh, two trips. I was on two trips that went out and we walked around and checked out the evidence of, of this volcano and, and what happened and now new growth. They said, oh, it's gonna take thousands and thousands of years before there's new growth. It's like, no. Things started to grow back right away and evidence of how creation works and so forth. Anyway, not only are there evidences of what happens after a volcano, but what was the amazing thing is, is that we were able to walk through some lava tubes. So underneath the earth are the lava tubes, which the, under these, these volcanoes, the lava flows through. And so we we're, were able to go down in these lava tubes and explore. And this lava tube is actually goes two miles out away from Mount St. Helens. That's how far this travels out. Um, I was like, I was curious. The Kazamura Cave is a lava tube in Hawaii. It goes 40 miles in length away from the volcano. 
And, and, and I'm looking at this thinking, that's the way sometimes our emotions work. Sometimes we just explode that out, like I'm just going to keep it in. But here's the thing. There's these like lava tubes in our emotions that just go out in other ways and do harm in other ways. Underneath the earth, this is affecting things underneath the earth and things on the surface right above the tubes as well. It spreads itself out. It will find a way to do damage. So even if we say, I've got it all together, I'm good. I'm just going to put it down here. It's like, hmm. You need to deal with it. You need to deal with it. Instead of blowing up with the outburst of anger or spreading stories, gossiping, or allowing your tongue to say harmful things. And sometimes, you know, we see things that are said harmfully on social media, and it's like, well, I just made a comment, but that was lava that just shot out and burned somebody. Well, I didn't mean to, but I just wanted to. I know it, it happens. And instead, those Christians, we want to show the fruit of God's spirit working in us. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, we've read this before. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And then the next word, gentleness, that's, that's that meekness and self-control. The Holy Spirit produces these things within us. That's how God wants us to live. Meekness. It's evidence when you're following Christ, when his spirit's working you. And what we have to do is a lot of times just acknowledge, just a flat-out surrender, acknowledge, you know what, I can't do this on my own. When you're struggling with this, it's like just stop where you're at. Hey, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you. Forgive me for the way I've been trying to do it myself. Forgive me for my outburst. Forgive me how I've spewed out. I maybe said something, I did something that, that hurt somebody else. I thought I had control, but like an animal that's not under control, I just probably kicked somebody. And I didn't mean to. Go to God. Ask him to help you. It's sort of like this. A glove is powerless, right? If I take that glove and I just set it down, and, and I say, hey, hey, glove, I need you to help me out. Could you uh, pick up my Bible for me? Could, could you pick up a hammer for me, please? Could you get my water bottle for me and pour me a drink? I, I, can, I can tell that glove, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. But yet it is powerless. And sometimes I feel like, a, as a Christian, sometimes I feel, like, I feel like God's telling me to do stuff, but I feel like I just can't do it. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit indwells us like it indwells, my hand indwells the glove. Now the glove, through the power of the hand, can pick up the Bible, right? It's sort of like, it's sort of like I know it's the greatest, not the greatest example, but that's the way the Holy Spirit works in us and dwells us so we can do whatever we need to do. But without the Holy Spirit, powerless. And that's where we are as Christians. Major Ian Thomas, he's a British evangelist, once said this, I love this quote, Godliness, because that's what we seek, right? We, if you go into uh, the book of Ephesians, it says, be imitators of God, right? I want to imitate God. Whatever God is, I want to be like him. This is what he says. Godliness is not the consequence of your capacity to imitate God, but the consequence of his capacity to reproduce himself in you. It's like, man, I want to imitate God. You can't unless he's reproducing himself in you. God wants to work in us. He wants us as his children to be able to understand what it means to be under control, to be meek. There's a lot of scripture 
uh, John chapter 17, where Jesus says this. He goes, my prayer is not for the world, but for those who you have given me because they belong to you. This is Jesus praying to God. He says, all who are mine belong to you, God, and you've given them to me, so they bring me glory. It's like we belong to him. As as children of God, we belong to God. Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 1 through 2 says, so now there's no condemnation for those who, what, belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Because you belong to him, his spirit frees you from these things. I hope you're getting a picture here. We belong to Christ. And if you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. You belong to him. And Galatians Chapter 5, if we continue to read on past the fruits of the Spirit, it says those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful natures to the cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's lead in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So we, when we allow meekness to rule in our lives, we become a soothing agent to others. When we allow meekness to rule in our hearts, we show evidence of Jesus Christ in our lives. When we show meekness to rule in our hearts, we bring strength to the body of Christ. We build up the church. And there are times when I'm watching something, whether it's on TV or I read something in the news about a Christian who just does something that's like immoral or just really wrong or just like, they just said something really weird. doesn't even match up with the Bible. And I sit there and think, and that's why people think Christians are idiots. Because of what that person said right there. And they call themselves a Christian. And it's like, you want to know why the church hurts so much? Because sometimes people within the church hurt each other. And it's like, we can't do that. we got to build up the church. Not pick on the church. And when I think about this, when we don't allow meekness in our lives, we hurt the body of Christ. Sorry to use so many sport illustrations, but for me, this one made sense to me. Playing football, let's say I score a touchdown. Yes, I just scored the winning touchdown. Our team, with a few seconds left, needed six points, seven if you kick the extra point, but we needed to score to win the game. I just scored a touchdown. We won. No time left on the clock, but then I look behind me, and there's a yellow flag on the ground. And that little yellow flag indicates that there was a penalty. And we find out that one of my teammates had a personal foul. Got upset with a player from the other team and, and did something illegal to them. Whether he tripped him, hit him, punched him, he did something, called him, whatever he did. But that penalty erases the touchdown. It's gone. My points are gone. Our victory is gone because my teammate couldn't have self-control. That's the way it works with the body of Christ. When one of us loses self-control, all of us hurt. And as a believer in Christ, I say, meekness, God, it's got to rule my heart because I want it to build up the church, not, not hurt the church. And I'm thankful that my parents have modeled this well for me, and it's probably because when you're a farmer raising six kids, oh, you've got to learn control, right? There's that self-control. You, you have to remain under control. But I remember outside our bathroom, up on the wall, again, six kids, two bathrooms. So you, you sit outside the bathroom waiting on one of the siblings forever. Mom always had quotes up there, right? One of them was a quote by Abraham Lincoln. And the quote by Abraham Lincoln is this, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. 
Now, why did I memorize that? Because I sat outside the bathroom waiting on my siblings for a long time, right? But I always sat there and I looked at that, that quote and I thought, that's got to be scriptural, right? Now, I don't know if it is, but there is a proverb that's close. Proverbs 17, 28 says this, Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. And I thought about that and I was like, man, I love how my parents modeled things for me. Whether they put up on the wall and tried to just like, you know, sometimes you lose self-control and you just say something, it's like, hmm, shouldn't have said that, right? Lost control. It's better to remain silent, just be thought a fool, than to speak and remove all doubt. That's what I remember. But then I started looking in the Bible. When it comes to being a fool or being wise, like in the book of Proverbs, there's over 80 mentions of the word fool. And then it's like I started looking through, and the majority of them deal with our mouths. When we lose control and we say things, right? Here's a few of them. Proverbs 14, 19. People are with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Proverbs 15, 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of the fool belches out foolishness. 18, 2 says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Or in verse 13, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. And then 26, 17, interfering in somebody else's argument is as foolish as yanking on a dog's ears. Ain't that true? And I thought about this as I'm reading through these problems. I'm thinking in person, online, in post, whatever it might be. A lot of times that would be good advice before we hop on and jump on somebody else's opinion or somebody else's post or feel like we need to spout off on something. Maybe we should just use some biblical wisdom here. I've had somebody say, hey, how come we don't preach like on, on social media or something else, um, whether it's political issues or whatever it might be? How come you don't preach on that kind of stuff? It's like, because if we're preaching on God's word, God's word takes care of all those things. If I'm practicing meekness, if I'm practicing self-control, if I'm practicing how I use my tongue, then it shouldn't matter with social media. I, I shouldn't have a problem with it because if I'm following the biblical standards, Right? But if I stray from where God's spirit leads me, that's when we get in trouble. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength to be obedient to where God leads us. And that's hard. And that's why we have to do it through his spirit, not mine, not yours. Worship team, would you come forward, please? So let me ask you some questions while they're coming up. How are you doing, church, with avoiding foolishness? How are you doing in becoming more like Christ? How can we get better at being meek people? If you follow out the order like Jesus, you're on a good start. I mean, it begins with us doing this, church. Listen very carefully. First of all, let's recognize that we have to totally empty of ourselves and say we need God in our life. You've got to get to that point where you say, I can't do this anymore. I need God's help. That's the first part, just recognizing where you're at. And then you have to pray. In times of anger, immediately ask God's spirit to help you in how you should be responding. And then seek God's forgiveness. Admit the way maybe you've been handling is not the right way to handle it. God, I lose control. I'm not showing meekness. I'm not showing humility. My mouth gets me in trouble. I need your help. Would you help me, Lord? And as you pray, you follow his lead. Because here's the thing. God's going to lead you in the right direction. The question is, are you going to follow it? 
If you're able to get out of the situation, if you're like, you know what, this situation always tends to get me going, maybe you need to excuse yourself from that situation. Put up some boundaries. When my dad, I always joked about this, when my dad was watching the Chicago Cubs or the Notre Dame Irish playing football and they, they would lose, he would just turn it off and go to the basement. He's like, I'm not going to watch any more of this. It's like he knew he was getting upset. And he's like, you know the best way to get rid of this situation, how I'm feeling? Turn it off and walk away. Now, I understand there's some things in our lives maybe you can't walk away from, but how can you put up a boundary, something to protect in that moment? Ask God, God, this is the kind of thing that I struggle with. How, God, can I do this in a way that honors you? Walk into his, God, into his word. It's so good with direction, isn't it? Would you stand, please? As Jesus was casting a vision to his listeners, and this is just one of many things he said at the Sermon on the Mount, but that one verse, as I said, trying to be a tough guy, I mean, I always felt this is what it was, and then I thought there was this challenge with meekness being weak. It's like, actually, it's, there's a strength there, a strength that only comes through his spirit, and it's really can come out in showing the world that meekness is not weakness. It is a strength. Allow his spirit to work in you. Allow his spirit to work through your emotions. Allow him to help you through whatever situation you are dealing with. He will. He's a faithful God. He is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the mighty God that you are. Thank you that in moments when we struggle with, with our emotions and, and words we use, help us to practice that meekness. Because through your spirit, we can. By the help of your spirit, we can. On our own, we, we can't. God, forgive us for our moments where maybe we've said something or we reacted in a way that was ungodly. And we know it. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to go to that person if we hurt somebody. Help us to go to them and apologize. Help us to go to the person that maybe that you know, we, we handle the situation wrong and seek forgiveness. God, give us the ability through the power of your Holy Spirit to take better actions next time. Lord, help us to stay in your word and understanding the, the direction you want us to go. Because God, without your word, without your direction, we're just gonna be standing hopelessly and helplessly because we do not have the power of what your spoken word provides for us, like that sword of the Spirit. God, I thank you for a church that loves you. I pray, Lord, that our church will build each other up, will encourage one another. And not just true North Church, but the many churches throughout Fulton County, Northwest Ohio, throughout the United States, internationally, God, your church is huge. Help us, Lord, to grow through your spirit in this body. We love you, Lord. In thy name we pray, amen. amen.